everybody, and welcome to a slightly belated episode of the Weekend Review edition of the Total Soccer Show. I got there eventually. My name is Taylor Rockwell. I'm joined on the other end of the line, back in North Carolina. He's a global traveler in the sense that he went from Las Vegas to uh, North Carolina. He's a professional musician, I recently learned. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tay How are you, darling? I'm doing very well. I didn't realize that I was in the, I guess, virtual presence of musical greatness, which is now what I'm saying about you. Oh, well, you're not, but uh, I do I do play guitar now and then, and I like to sing uh, occasionally. Uh, if you're in the Charlotte area, then uh, avoid any places where I'm doing that is my advice. I, I First of all, I don't believe you, because I'm going to assume now that you have a very good voice and you can uh, play that acoustic guitar. But more <laughs> to the point for me, my wife is a classically trained pianist, and when she plays like anything on the piano that is a song that I recognize, I think I've said this on the show before, but it genuinely seems like magic to me because I don't understand how music works in that way. So when she can read a sheet of like a bunch of symbols and scri- like scribblings, and then somehow it's like music that's recognizable to my ears, I'm sort of blown away. So knowing that you can do that as well, I'm equally impressed. <laughs> I'm glad I continued to impress you, Taylor. Thank you very much. You do. I learned something new about you every week. Well, speaking buddy, of and... pe- penis, by the way, on my flight back this way, I watched the movie uh-huh. Rocket Man. I really enjoyed it. And uh, really? one thing I will note from it, uh, his mum is played by Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Ron Howard's daughter. And she uh-huh. does, I think, the best English accent from an American I've ever heard. Like, um, it, it, you know, it, British people doing American accents in movies mm-hmm. and TVs, ten a penny. But going the other way around, there's not many people who do it well because you tend to end up like, uh, all right, Governor, a bit, bit like this. But um, <laughs> Bryce Howard, she it's... did a very good job. I'll tell you, the only other person I think who does an equally good job is Lake Bell. I don't know if you know the actress Lake Bell. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She's in, uh, is it called Man Up? It's a movie with Simon Pegg. And she does a very, very authentic South London. Very good. All right. I, I know Lake Bell. I like Lake Bell. Uh, so that's good. Is, is it still the case that the gold standard of terrible English accents is Dick Van Dyke? Or has somebody else sort of taken a shot at that title? Uh, Don Cheadle comes pretty close in the Oceans oh, franchise. Oh, goodness he does not need His character does not even need to be British. It makes no sense. I think, I think as I recall, I, I read somewhere or saw in like a... Uh, Maybe in a movies podcast or heard in a movies podcast that it was supposed to be a British actor. Like maybe it was supposed to be like Jason Jason Statham or somebody like that. Uh. And then he couldn't do it. So they were like, well, we'll just have Don Cheadle do the English part. And it did not work out. So you are correct. That is a solid shout. But so while we're like talking... in the script, it said like uh, before each line, it said in English in brackets before it started, like English accent. So that's what Don Cheadle had to read in English accent. I, I, maybe, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> maybe he just, he wanted the acting challenge and All right, uh, guys, he did let's not go and it. rob that casino, yeah? <laughs> Bloody hell. It's so bad. It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> but you're at, your fake accent is great, Ryan, because uh, you are actually from Charlotte and you're just making this whole thing up, right? Correct. Yeah, this is a ruse. That's what I figured. In the same way that I insist that Daryl is from Wisconsin. I'm just going to say that you're from North Carolina <laughs> from now on. Uh, but you are uh, a, an accomplished writer who has covered Manchester City, who lost the Manchester Derby, and that's where we're going to start. Man City won, Man United 2. That was a, a bit of a surprise. I'm going to assume the same for you, Ryan. Uh, well, if you'd have read my betting preview pieces and a couple of pieces I wrote on Yahoo Sports last week, not so much of a surprise. I did predict that Man really? United were going to take some points off of City in this one. Not least, Tete, uh, with the knowledge that you will be fully aware of, that Manchester United tend to be raising their game against big ah, yes. six teams, don't they? And obviously, they had a good performance against Leicester as well. And it seems to be this phenomenon of... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer raising his game against the big teams and maybe this team being better suited to opponents who will take more of the possession and encouraging that rapid counter-attacking style that we saw 
in this game. And I think mm-hmm. Man City's, you know, style played into Solskjaer's hands. And let's 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 give a thumbs up straight away to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer then, because mm-hmm. he he tactically managed this one very well, and in the same way that he tactically managed the uh, the draw with Liverpool very well. In that you know he nullified the fullbacks in that one. He he seemed to. He, it's old how you get a manager who can draw with Aston Villa and be terrible in the Europa League and then does this kind of thing. Is, is that not peculiar to you? It's very peculiar to me. And I think y- your initial point uh, is correct. First of all, your initial point that I should be reading your betting pre- previews is uh, the most <laughs> accurate thing you said first off. So I will uh, seek to amend that this week so Thank to you. be better prepared for next week. But it is strange that it, it feels like maybe it's just like he really is hyper-focused on, on the big one and maybe loses the focus a little bit. I can't really explain it. But I think also your point about like maybe being able to sit back and then ruthlessly counter is more acceptable against uh, bigger opponents who are expected to get the results. Results. against mm. Villa you can't do it as well I still think you could blend the approaches and find some success but it does feel as though he game plans well for these uh sort of larger games these bigger games I mean that goes back to their win over Spurs I think it was when he first took over um up until this the result this weekend it does seem like he he gets his tactics right and I do also think as we're fond of saying that things can be two things and I think it can be the case that he got his tactics very right and I yeah. also think Man City and Pep Guardiola set up very wrong set up very wrong in what sense that well okay maybe not like like not in terms of go like their with formation the wrong or angle, like so that. I don't have to say it Taylor go with it <laughs> well it just mostly that like there were there were moments in this game when there was no reason for their back four to be as compact as they were and tight together mm. and they left so much space out wide but then on top of that they still would commit numbers forward they would still commit fullbacks forward when it was really clear that United were seeking to break down the channels they were trusting the pace of Rashford they were trusting the pace of Daniel James and to some extent the pace and physicality of Anthony Martial and I don't think that Man City really ever expected that to be the case. I'm not sure why, because that feels like the obvious way to go, especially with Rashford being in form, cutting in from the left, and Daniel James having that pace, that it seems like you would want to sort of set up to nullify that main threat from Man United, and then from there, you'll be fine. And instead, it didn't feel like they put the pressure on Manchester United when United won the ball back. There wasn't that sort of gegenpress and counterpressing that we've come to expect. There wasn't that tactical fouling. There was a lot of like lack of discipline in the back four and I do yeah. think that connects to Fernandinho playing there you're definitely right yeah definitely and yeah Kyle Walker obviously had interesting that he finished the game uh, w- w- without further punishment but I think that right yeah. channel for Man United was particularly troubling Daniel James had a great game one Basaka was you know very very good yeah. indeed and you've got them matched up against David Silva whose powers are declining on that channel and then Angelino who uh, was run ragged by Daniel James for much of this, wasn't he? And it, it just, yep. th- that's one of the things I'd ask. Like, we, we, I, we know my opinions on Pep Guardiola and having bought poorly and done some strange things with the transfer market, should have got centre-back support and Fernandinho being back there and that means he can't be where Rodrigo's playing and doing the same job, blah, blah, blah. But why is not Joao Cancelo? Joao Cancelo can play left-back. Why, why wasn't he, he in can. there? I mean, it, I, I mean, it doesn't... Sinchenko's injured. I know they haven't got too many options back there right now. And Benjamin Mendy is... So I, I think... <laughs> but like, say, Cancelo is is really missed by Juventus. And I'm sure we'll get to that later. Mm. But why, why not give him a shot there? 
It really doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and and I and I'm sure there. If we asked Pep Guardiola, he would be very annoyed, but then he would explain something that would maybe be satisfactory or not. But yeah. in the, in this game, it was like I t- I tend to be hesitant when the commentators really focus in on one player because having done play by play and color commentary myself, it can be really easy to like miss a lot of what's happening and then only focus on like oh Angelino he had that one errant pass and now for the rest of the game every time he does something wrong I'm going to keep focusing on the negative and that can sort of be the train. So yeah. I went back and rewatched wondering like is that the case? Did he actually have that bad of a game or was it just the commentators he had that bad of a game that it was like it wasn't just his positioning it was um there's the chance uh when uh, Rashford I think hits the post when Daniel James uh gets knocked off the ball play 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 goes on Rashford hits the post but that comes from uh from Angelino essentially just not completing a very easy five-yard pass that launches a counterattack and Mm. he certainly was hung out to dry a little bit by some of the positioning of his teammates and by having to deal with that right side as you suggested but it was definitely also when the simple moments were on he did not rise to the occasion and I don't know if maybe that was Guardiola wanting to see if he could or believing he could based on what had, had happened previously or maybe thinking that Man United were there for the take and he could be a bit aggressive and not worry about the defense. But for whatever reason, uh, Angelino goes in there and is definitely part, not the only reason, but definitely a big part of why United, I think, felt so confident straight out of the gate. Yeah, and I think not playing to full potential, which you hinted there, is, is quite an important point about this City team at the moment because Kevin De Bruyne was good. Raheem Sterling had a few good moments. Edison was you know, keeping the minute with a lot of blocks early on particularly. Mm-hmm. Who else? No one else had a good game in this, and no one else was playing anywhere near their potential. This is Pep Guardiola's no. worst start in 11 years. My question to you, let's put this out there. Mm-hmm. Why isn't this team the best ever team that Guardiola has? Because at this stage, he's got the experience, all the experience he's had in the past. He's got mm-hmm. all the money, all the players he could ever want to buy, and this team isn't as good as the team two years ago. Why... Why isn't this team like when you look back to two years ago and we all thought this team would be unstoppable and you know this this dynasty could go on forever and why has this happened why are the, why are we like this now and it has to all fall back mm-hmm. on Guardiola and his you know his players not buying what he's selling anymore surely. I mean, I, I think to some extent, because I think the narrative will be like, oh, this is what happens. Like, very intense managers sort of flame out. The players get tired of it. They don't want all the pressure. They don't want all the work. They get a little bit tired. They get a little bit, like, uh, less focused. And then things run their course and we end where we end. And maybe that's part of it. But I also think there there's lots of little things that because it's been Man City, because they've been so dominant, I think it hasn't seemed like such a big deal. But as you go on, maybe those little things add up. For example, Vincent Company leaving at the end of last season. Yet yeah. like he he moves to manage in Belgium. He was a player who was like a role player, but not a key squad player or anything like that. But I think in the end was a huge figure in that locker room who executed Guardiola's game plans. But if nothing else, could be seen to like be a vocal leader and get people on board and make sure everybody was kind of still performing the way they were supposed to be. I think it's a big reason why he ended up coaching straight after playing. And so you lose this player who wasn't necessarily going to be a game-in, game-out starter, but was a very important role player. And I think it's because, like, yeah, we've been fine. We'll let him move on. Maybe we'll reinforce. Maybe we'll bring in a youngster. We'll see how it goes. And I think 
some of that sort of attitude, if it is there, which I think it is, is related to we've won two in a row. We're Man City. We've got all the money. We've got all the players. We've got Pep Guardiola. Yeah, we lose a center back. Who cares? And like, and I think some of that complacency gets reflected and then gets magnified as the results don't go their way and questions yeah. start to get asked. And then there's injuries and you've got players out of position and suddenly things just keep rolling. And now John Stones leaves this game with injury. Otamendi comes in and scores. So good to him. But it seems like it will be Fernandinho and Otamendi in the next game. And is that good enough? Probably not. So do they reinforce in January? Does Guardiola get who he wants? Are they able to reinforce? It's a lot of questions that we didn't expect to have at this point in the season when the season began. Yeah, definitely. And we didn't, certainly didn't expect there to be a 14-point gap between Liverpool and Manchester so City. Certainly so in, in the order that we have it right now. Mm-mm. And are we ready to concede the fact that Man City aren't going to win the league? I think I'm, I think I'm there now, right? It would take a really big turnaround that I don't see <laughs> happening. Uh, yeah. We had some we had some people tweet us one in particular asking like I guess, I think they tweeted the the gif of Mr. Bean being bored and like looking to the sky wondering when we were going to talk about Leicester City. I feel like you and I have talked about Leicester City a decent amount on this show, but maybe yeah. that's one we'll have to start uh, focusing on a bit more since they are uh, the closest team in relative touching distance to Liverpool, who are top of the table, forty six points. Leicester City second on thirty eight. Man City third with thirty two. And it does feel like it it will be. Liverpool well out in front, Leicester City sort of just reminding them that there's another team there, but not necessarily putting pressure on them. We'll see if yeah. those results continue. And then sort of City, Chelsea, City and Chelsea, uh, maybe like battling for third and fourth, and then we'll see what happens after that, because there's been a lot of a lot of change uh, so far. That's about where I have it. Uh, but I do want to take a moment to praise a few United players, if that's okay with you, because I know we talk City a decent amount. I know you've got some City loyalty, not a lot, but a little bit, but we <laughs> should uh, praise Man United. You gave thumbs up to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'm giving thumbs up to proud papa Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, I loved that <laughs> that clip of, of uh, Solskjaer applauding the fans, and it zooms in from behind his shoulder to so Alex Ferguson smiling as though I don't, his his child had actually just coached the, uh, his favorite team to a win over their uh, cross city rival. He was he looked so pleased in that moment in a way that I have not seen Sir Alex Ferguson look maybe ever. No. That it was sort of an adorable moment, but that might just be my fandom. No, not at all, Taylor. I, I was going to say that I have no skin in this game. I don't particularly enjoy Manchester United winning. I've, I probably actively root against Manchester United winning for the m- large part of my childhood, <laughs> certainly. But that moment of the pointing to the badge and seeing Fergie in the stands, you had that camera angle. That was a bit of a almost welling up moment. I thought that was lovely. That was absolutely superb, wasn't it? And then we had the picture afterwards of them yeah. having a glass of wine together. It is, is moments like this make you get a bit more faith in Solskjaer? Is he the manager that you need? You know, you know that his, his blood runs through this club, but um, mm-hmm. and when we know that he can tactically uh, get it right in situations like this. Does this give you more faith? Um, it doesn't give me less faith, is my answer. Um, <laughs> I, I, still, I still have those same concerns about like the, the lack of consistency, the, the losing of points. This is definitely me speaking from a, a fan's perspective. And I would say like some of his decisions, I don't really love how he goes very defensive. United in this game were successful by really going at City with a lot of numbers, being very aggressive. And there's a school of thought of, okay, now you're ahead 2-0. The game, the kind of, we're getting into the final minutes. Let's bring in some defensive players. Let's refine refresh the legs let's sit off a little bit and then if there's a situation to counter let's take it but I think really with a team like Man City like they they scare me anytime they're within shooting range because I fully expect them to have these combinations and find a way through and I think the more you invite a team like that on even if they've had an off 75 minutes or 80 minutes if you give them a couple chances they start finding a way through and once City got that first goal 
I got really nervous in a way that I wasn't really thrilled with. And I do think that until like United are able to see games out more regularly and get those three points, and but then also get those three points against like weaker opponents or quote unquote weaker opponents, I will still have some concerns about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So that's the negative. The positive, if uh, you'll permit me to continue to ramble, is that there are players like Fred who mm. I thought for all the world would be sold, wasn't up to the quality, and to be fair, has gotten minutes because other players have been injured and other players haven't been available or have been sold themselves or are Paul Pogba and are doing whatever Paul Pogba's doing, uh, presumably recovering. But here in this game, once again, he looked very good. He, he was all over the place. He was putting in challenges. He was ca- causing problems uh, to City in terms of his defensive work, but then obviously in his attack, in his driving forward with the ball, in looking to play the ball forward, you know, he just looked like a better player than we've seen him look at any point, and I do think that that's the backing of Solskjaer. I would say the same thing of Jesse Lingard as well. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I definitely will extend my thumb uh, upwards towards the sky in honor of Fredji as well. <laughs> I think he, yeah. he was absolutely superb in this game. He's getting a, a much better rep, and there is th- that perception that Pep Guardiola wanted to bring him in, and you can see mm-hmm. why he's basically the new Fernandinho in that right? respect, wasn't he? He was great in this game, and. I wonder, and I think I've seen this elsewhere, he's really good in games like this when Man United have low possession. They had 28% possession in this game. And that kind of suits him because it's when he can mainly mm. defend. But when when United have more of the ball, when he has more of the ball, when he has when it, when it the onus is on him to be more creative, that's when we see him falter a little bit more, perhaps. Yeah. Is yeah, that and so, it, yeah, it absolutely is. And that's why, like... I, I hesitate to get too blown away by this result. I think it's fine if you're a Man United fan to be really excited, to be happy, because it's been a while since there was like a big result that went United's way. So I think it's it's fine to celebrate, it's fine to be excited, but I'm definitely not willing to then go so far as to say like, well, that's it. Fred Fred is our new like uh, starting central midfielder now and forever, because I do yeah. think <laughs> we could see we could see some problems there. We saw but much would- larger problems involving Fred, but we can talk about that in a moment. Yeah, definitely. But I would say that midfield too, Fred and, and McTominay coming back, very important for this. That's a big mm-hmm. reason for the success in this game, blocking everything going through the middle. And once again, just like we mentioned last week with, with City, being forced to put in these high crosses. Mm-hmm. And they're a team who, who... Who's getting on these crosses? Okay, Gabriel Jesus is pretty good in the air, but he's not yeah. eight feet tall, mm-hmm. is he? It's, it seems... No, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it just seems like an odd thing to do. And we know that City are the masters of these low crosses, but they did that thing which they do... It's such a tell. It's a tell of a Guardiola side when they pump in the crosses like that because it shows their frustration and they were being mm-hmm. forced to go out wide like that. And I don't know, more power to, to United for getting that out of them, basically. Yeah, so so I think uh, credit to United for getting the result. Uh, significantly less credit to Man City's fans for a number of different reasons. Um, the the big one would be the incident uh, near the corner flag. Uh, credit to Re- Rebecca Lowe and NBC Sports. I'll give them thumbs up because my wife was watching with me. I left the room, and they did a very good job of kind of explaining everything that had happened. But there are objects thrown on the pitch, a couple of different lighters, a couple of other different objects. Then there's one City fan who appears to be uh, making uh, noises that would be reminiscent of like monkey chants uh he i think has been interviewed by the police i don't know if any action has been taken there it seemed to me on the replay as though that's what he was doing um so that was not great there were some i guess there was footage doing the rounds of city plans doing the uh the airplane celebration which is a reference to the munich disaster so and then fans leaving very early when their team was down uh by only one goal that's maybe the least of it but it was still not a great day for man city fans no, it didn't look good on them very well. Yeah, there was also missiles thrown at Fred. There was a little pause while um, uh, mm. he he uh, he uh, 
reacted right. to that. Uh, I will give praise to NBC too for um, digging out the the fan who was guilty of the racist mm-hmm. behaviour. Uh, gave him a lot of screen time, and you know, sort of. Uh, yeah, I don't know did. what the Sky coverage did at home, but certainly here, they, uh, they, I think they did the right thing in sort of, you know, uh, making it, making an example of that man who. who um, the latest report, I think, is that he's been released on bail, and his name is yeah. out. His details are all that. We don't need to get into that right now, but obviously, uh, that kind of thing, very, very poor. Um, yeah, yeah. Nice. I will say, I'll jump, I'll jump in there briefly to say, I, I did watch match of the day, uh, the BBC match of the day, and they blurred out. Uh, like his face and everything that happened and I think that was I think ostensibly to sort of not show the the moment as a as a way of saying like it happened it was terrible we don't want to show it we don't want to upset people but it also then I think kind of gives a little bit of deniability like well you know I couldn't see what he was doing so I don't know like if you want to defend if you're a city fan and you want to defend the guy like I I appreciated uh, NBC Sports making it very clear like nope that's the guy and that's what he was doing and we are not okay with it so I I appreciated that clarity and coverage even if it was probably pretty difficult in studio and they've done this before they've done a really good job uh, Robbie Earle especially of kind of giving his thoughts on racism and what it was Mm. like when he was playing and how he expected it to be different and how it hasn't been so I think anytime there's kind of those sort of open conversations and open coverage it helps to further the discourse at a time when otherwise disgusting things are happening so yeah, i think definitely. it's credit to them but definitely thumbs down to man city fans on the day thumbs down to them indeed and let's give some credit to the club they did it they were very quick city mm-hmm. were very quick to issue a statement on this um they are very hard on racism when it doesn't involve uh, one of their players sending tweets oh dear did i go there i went there <laughs> i went there i appreciate you going there uh and i appreciate you going to discuss uh today's sponsor uh because today's episode of the total soccer show is brought to you in part by our friends over at seat geek seat geek makes buying and selling uh tickets to concerts live uh to sports to comedy to much more they make it very 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 easy and with fifty thousand five star reviews and a a lot of positive feedback behind them you can also rest assured that your tickets are guaranteed if you use seat geek you will get your tickets they will be actual tickets they will not be fake you will have actual seats you will not be seated outside of the venue uh as special seating or something like that SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web. That's the line I like from this copy of the notes, Taylor, because mm. I just picture them sort of minority reports sweeping tickets <laughs> into their website, which I think is... It would be an interesting feature. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but talking of interesting features, one of the best ones they have is their traffic light system. If a ticket is good value, gets a green light on there, and also has a scale rating of 1 to 10 in that respect. I actually uh, utilized my first SeatGeek tickets this past weekend, went to see the New York oh, Rangers yeah. at the uh, Las Vegas golden knights my first national hockey league experience it was fun sure (laughs) i can't tell if that's like like you just being casual and cool or if that's you being like it was really fun maybe i need to give hockey another chance Okay. That's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, okay. it was fun, and, and like it was, it was a five nil win for the, for the Rangers. Uh, the mm-hmm. Knights didn't really show up in that one, um, but I didn't understand what was going on most of the time. I didn't even <laughs> know it was three periods before I arrived. But there you go. That says more about me than it does about hockey. But I tell you what, I'm looking at SeatGeek for all these uh, opportunities to see some new stuff. I've noticed that Motley Crue are on tour oh this summer. Uh, check out this bill: Motley Crue headlining, then Def Leppard then Poison, then Joan Jett. I could go see wow. that in my hometown of Charlotte for 88 bucks starting there at Tay-Tay from SeatGeek. Sounds good to me. I just picture a lot of bloated faces in that lineup. <laughs> that's, that's, that's sort of what I'm thinking now. I'm is thinking Vince a lot of the front people... man for Motley Crue? Uh, yes, he is, yes. Uh, All and, right. Um, a lot of people 
uh, who both on stage and in the crowd whose best years might be behind them. I just <laughs> say definitely the case for Vince Neil, doubly so for Vince Neil, which is also his uh, size, which is doubled. Um, <laughs> I enjoy Seat Geek. Uh, we were at a a dinner party Saturday night, which was sort of an abbreviated dinner party because half of the people, including the host, were leaving to go see Hamilton, which is here in Richmond. My wife and I uh, got excited for a moment, thought like maybe we could. We looked up tickets on Seat Geek, um, which is like an easy way to just go see if anything's available. Nothing was available that, that night. There were tickets the next night. But what it did do for us was then remind us that like she likes musical theater, and so we are looking at tickets. But you can use the SeatGeek app to sort of look at shows you might want to see, see if anything is coming to town, and then uh, bookmark them or just go ahead and buy them right away. Um, so that's, that's a lovely feature. And if you do want to use uh, their services to get some tickets, you can get $10 off your first purchase. All you need to use is our promo code. Ryan, what is that promo code? How do they use it? Uh, promo code Tay Tay. Three letters. Mm. T. Then an S. Then an S. That's TSS. That if you put them all together, you put that in the promo code uh, bit and you get $10 <laughs> off your first purchase. That's right. There we go. So download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code TSS, as Ryan said, uh, for $10 off your first purchase. One more time, that's TSS for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Thank you very much to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode and for, I guess, maybe rekindling Ryan's potential love affair with hockey is how i'm gonna phrase that sure yeah i'll give it another <laughs> shot and i'll use seat geek when i do so tay tay all right well daryl and i were discussing uh we had a listener question uh uh from the monday show uh t- today would be monday but earlier today about like what elements of other sports we would like to see soccer potentially utilize and we were both on board for the uh the penalty box the sin bin being utilized in soccer where you've got like five minutes you have to sit out if you get a blue card or 10 minutes for a yellow card yeah. things of that nature would you be down for that ryan I'd be down for that. I like messing around with things. Sure, why not? But one thing I thought was very odd about the hockey, and it happened once. If it happened in the third, not the third quarter, the third third, and um, it, it, the fighting. So, like, there was mm-hmm. a moment where two players sort of yeah. tangled with each other. They dropped their sticks, and they sort of did the put up your dukes and sort of, mm-hmm. you know, looking at each other with their fists up. And they started playing music, and there was sort of like a 10-second pause. It felt very theatrical, and then it made me think maybe they weren't as angry with each other as things suggested it seemed a bit like it was all a bit of a dance so i've i've heard i've heard a few i've read a few different interviews with different enforcers which is the ones that tend to fight when because you don't want your star player potentially breaking a hand at a fight so the enforcer will come in and maybe the guy who cross-checked your star player will now uh get beaten up by your enforcer i've heard Mm. them say that there are moments when like the crowd isn't really into it it's kind of low energy and like like before there's about to be a face-off they'll kind of go next to each other and be like you uh you want to fight yeah, sure. And then they'll just fight. And it does kind of pick the crowd up. I'm going to assume that the music played. People got into it. People stood up and cheered. There was that, like, oh, moment. Oh, yeah. And they were four, yeah. the, the home side before Neil down at this point. So I mm-hmm. think maybe there was an element of let, let's, uh, let's get the party ah. started a little bit in here. <laughs> All right. Well, Daryl's suggestion for things he'd like to see incorporated was just letting players fight the way they do with hockey players. Would you be down for that, Ryan? Like, do you mean like fisticuffs, like actual pun- landing yeah. punches and such? Yeah, like instead of doing the, like the head-to-head thing where they're both trying to trigger the other one into leaning forward so then they could fall over and pretend to be hurt and then the other player gets the red card for headbutting, like just actually <laughs> let them headbutt each other. <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter. I could never encourage that kind of thing. That's, that's why we have you around, Ryan, to speak sense when Daryl speaks nonsense. <laughs> uh, let's see if you can speak some sense about Everton's 3-1 win over Chelsea. Ryan, have you got thumbs for this one? 
I have got thumbs. Let me check what I put in our running order. I've got thumbs for the mm-hmm. big dunk. That's what I've got thumbs yep. for. Of course, in the legendary manager face-off, it was the the one who does like a bit of violence, who um, who mm-hmm. ca- came off in, in on top in this one. Uh, he, he was sort of capitalised on Chelsea being very sloppy in this game. But let's give full credit to, to, to Ferguson here, who was very, very animated. And it was lovely to see on the touchline. Yes, he was. But he, he brought... I, I maintain, and I'll, I will argue this till, till you know, till the end of the day, that, that mm-hmm. the Premier League in the 90s was the best. Even if the standard really? was the best. It's just the best. I just love it. Maybe it's just because that was when I fell in love with the game, basically. But he brought it back to the 90s. He did a 4-4-2. He, did, mm-hmm. he had, like, headed goals. Duncan Ferguson-style goals. Lots and mm-hmm. lots of tackles. Lots of pressing. Well, I suppose lots of pressing, not necessarily a 90s trait. But it, it did feel very 90s. And I've got a quote from, from Big Dunk here. I think 4-4-2 can get a bad name, but we needed to make sure we were defending. We were not going to play pretty patterns because we didn't have time to work with the players. 4-4-2 is the default position for me hasn't changed a bit don't break into his house that's uh, <laughs> advice for all our listeners don't break into his house you'll regret it um i, but I like basically i do like it, the fact oh sorry go ahead go ahead right oh no, i was gonna no, tell you what i point. Like. <laughs> i like that it was very basic it was mm-hmm. keep it simple stupid seemed to be the uh the, the the modus operandi here lots of running lots of putting the ball into space lots of tackles lots of showing desire i think was basically what this was about and one team wanted it a lot more than the other which sounds very cliche but so does everything else I've just said about what happened with Duncan Ferguson. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, I mean, going 4-4-2, going two up top, that's a thing. I think that from that same article that you just quoted was Marco Silva saying that, like, oh, that won't work. That's an outdated thing. We can't have that for this team. And to have him go out there and do that, to have two very, like, Theo Walcott, Alex Iwobi, aggressive down the wings, trying to mm. make things happen, using their pace. Like, that was, that was a, a big part of it. So I definitely agree with you that it was a lot of kind of hallmarks of, like, okay, we got to get back to basics. we got to make some things happen. To Daryl Grove's credit, having just bashed him for uh, wanting people to bash each other in soccer, um, <laughs> he he was making a point that like like if you read about Duncan Ferguson, uh, I think specifically he was saying he read this on his Wikipedia page. When I was like, "What's the article that's from?" He was like, "Oh no, it's Wikipedia." But essentially, like for people who don't know, this is Duncan Ferguson, who I think has he's up there in the record books for most red cards received in the Premier League era. Uh, I think he's like tied with Patrick Vieira, maybe, and Richard Dunn. I think. But, like, I believe he's the only soccer player to have gone to prison for something he did on the field. Exactly. I think it was a headbutt, right? Uh, yeah. And that, yeah, that sent him to prison for a while. So he has that reputation, uh, and not unjustly. But by all accounts, like since he retired, I guess he had a falling out with David Moyes when when he was when Duncan Ferguson was still playing uh, at Everton. He refused to shake his hand when he left or something like that. He made amends. Uh, he apologized to David Moyes, and because of that, he was kind of brought back in and allowed to volunteer as a coach and then he works his way up the the youth coaching ranks he had a falling out with the scottish fa over his incarceration and him arguing they didn't really support him but he goes and does uh coaching courses in scotland and i think kind of makes makes peace there and because of that i think he's working towards his uefa pro license or maybe already has it but he definitely has his uefa a license for sure and so it feels like it's it's a little bit reformed and he's kind of learned a little bit more about coaching he's learned a little bit more about himself but then he still has that edge that little bit of tenacity he had the risk band on which I did enjoy so I felt like he it was a nice blend of the two credit to Daryl Grove for his point but then credit to you Ryan for pointing out that yes 442 hoofing into space no time for tactics like literally we did not have time to work on tactics so we went very simple (laughs) and they got the result 
And I think to your point about them wanting it more, I'm going to say thumbs up to the third goal for just being the perfect encapsulation of this game, making it very easy for us to talk about because this is the one for people who haven't seen it. Uh, Kepa, the Chelsea goalkeeper, has the ball. He tries to play it to, I believe, Kurt Zuma, who's not really paying attention, but I think it's also not close enough to Kurt Zuma for him to realize that ball is coming. Uh, It's intercepted by Alex Awobi, I think it was. Uh, He plays in Calvert-Lewin, who has the back heel to Tom Davies. There's a scrap. The ball's loose, and then Calvert-Lewin, like, outside of the foot, Meg's Keppa for the third goal. But it's a combination of Chelsea being sloppy and a little bit complacent, Everton being alive to those opportunities very quickly, but then having the kind of fight and tenacity to find a way to get a goal, but also little moments of actual technical skill in the back heel from Calvert-Lewin. Everything in there I thought was, was really interesting and did a good job of kind of explaining why this game went the way it did. Yeah, definitely. Just so much sloppiness and still... A big highlight of the fact that Chelsea are not good defensively still. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, but but you just got to credit Everton for the way they did this. And I'll go back to Mm -hmm. one more more thing about um, uh, Duncan Ferguson, by the way. Did you see that he wore Howard Kendall's broken watch? I did. Um, his, Kendall's widow gave it to him on the morning of the game and he wore it and it didn't even work I thought oh, that's just a wonderful little uh, detail of, of the game then I think it's quite can we, wait, can we pause really really quickly there Ryan because I, I don't like I, I saw that story and I read a little bit about Howard Kendall but I, I can't say that I am like as familiar with everything that he meant both to Ferguson and to Everton can you talk a little bit more about that about why that was significant well, it's just you know, it's just a, a, something he worked under, and he had a very big, good relationship with mm-hmm. him. And he's you know, obviously both very much heroes at the club, and mm-hmm. it, it's it's just one of those things that reminds you that these are people too, doesn't it? Really, and there I think go. I'd yeah. also go on and add that this this is a reminder that as much as we talk about tactics and what happens where on the field, soccer isn't just about that. It's about spirit. It's about people, mm-hmm. and it's about the intangibles of character, isn't it? That was. That was genuinely beautiful. Oh, that sounded nice, didn't it? Off the the cuff. It really did. It really did. I don't think there's anything better we can say about the Premier League from this weekend. Uh, So let's move over to Germany. Does that work for you? Yeah, let's do it. All right. It was a a strange Bundesliga season, I would say, got even stranger this weekend. Schalke lost to Bayern Leverkusen. They stayed in Champions League places, narrowly ahead of both Leverkusen and Freiburg. Uh, Dortmund smashed five past Dusseldorf. They took over third spot. In the black kit. Oh, I want that black kit so bad. They made 9,009, I think, copies of it. They had 9,009 available for sale. They sold out in three hours. I'm assuming that was, oh, it's the 110th anniversary, I think, of the club. That was why they went all black. But yes, uh, those looked sleek and solid. And as Daryl said uh, on Twitter, reminded him of Johnny Cash. And that's always a positive sign. (laughs) Uh, So well done to Dortmund there for the black kits. Well done to Leipzig. Uh, They had uh, a 3-1 win over Hoffenheim. That keeps them in second place. But the top of the table where things were truly weird, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Handed seventh place, seventh place Bayern Munich a two to one loss that probably shouldn't have been the case, and that's the second week in a row we can kind of say that about about Bayern Munich that they probably should have won, they had the better chances, and yet once again they did not. Yeah, definitely. This, as you say, the second week in a row they've lost two one. The second week in a row where they played significantly better than their opponent, and I think they they suffered here for having a pretty poor second half. They suffered for not uh, making the most of their chances. We know that Robert Lewandowski is just washed up loser now. Dust hasn't scored in a few games. <laughs> uh, let, let's write him off completely. Um, but I, I guess the question is: It seems like there's some weakness in mentality mm-hmm. in this team. Uh, we assigned it to Nico Kovac's leadership. Perhaps that's not the case. Perhaps that Hansi Flick, when he had that rap, really good start, it was maybe more to do with the schedule. And now we've got, you know, Borussia Mönchengladbach mm-hmm. being a very good team. 
they've come up, come a little bit undone here, and obviously coming undone to buy Leverkusen, another very good team. And it's I don't know what I think it's twenty six shots that Bayern had in this uh, in this oh game, eighteen on target. That's even more shots than they had last week. Yep. Got, and, uh, and and I would say of those, not even the one they scored, they had seven clear cut chances that like. I know, I know, like, uh, expected goal people don't love it when people say, like, oh, he should have done better there, but I'm absolutely going to say it. There are so many moments when you would have fully expected Bayern Munich to score. And I think that maybe plays into part of why things, like, turned on them the way they did is that they've got these clear cut chances, so many clear cut chances. And then it's Ivan Perisic scoring with what I would say was the least likely chance. Like, he plays it to Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller chips it back to him, like, laterally across the top of the box. Perisic turns and, like, swivels around and hits it in a way that nobody I think saw coming uh, including nice. some of the goalkeeper it's a great it's a great goal but I think it was sort of like the compared to how many other like obvious very clear scoring chances they had that seemed like the least likely one and then yeah. it also seemed like once they scored there was this element of like okay we're Bayern Munich we're one nil ahead that's it like and the the desperation to find a way to score is sort of gone because they're 1-0 up. But with that goes a lot of the, feels like the intensity and the drive and the need to get another goal. And they sort of slackened off a little bit and invited Gladbach back into this one. And in the end, they lose as a result. So I feel like maybe it's the, still the idea, like maybe it's overly simplistic, but the idea of like, we're Bayern Munich, we're the best team in, in the Bundesliga. If we score once, we'll score four more. You won't get any, it's over. But may, then they don't actually follow through with the second part of that, which is scoring the four more goals to make sure it's over. Yeah, you've actually got to do the goal thing. That's important. That would be important. They did, yes. they did, as you say, they had lots of missed opportunities. Um, Thomas Muller yeah. had a really good chance where he seemed to miss from about two yards out early on. Lewandowski had an early one where he went just wide. And Joshua Kimmich, of course, having that shot that was what, about 99.9% oh, yeah. of the ball over the line. But apparently that wasn't yep. quite enough. That was a, <laughs> a clutch save, wasn't it? Um, but I mean, full credit to Gladbach here. I mean, Gladbach are, let's be clear, they are... By Munich's bogey team, essentially. They are the Everton mm-hmm. and the Chelsea here, aren't they? Then I think last season, was it a 3 0 at the Allianz that um, Gladbach oh, pulled yeah. off? And they do seem That's to. Right. I think I, uh, my, my stats say that Gladbach have won four of the last six against Bayern Munich at Borussia wow. Park. Sorry, that's Borussia Park because you have to shout it because it's all in capitals. <laughs> you do. And it's you do. You have one to hyphenated it. word. You have to yell it. That's the rules. But um, yeah, as much as Bayern were wasteful, let's give credit to Gladbach for pulling that one off. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've yeah, got really and, good defense. They've got, you know, Matthias Ginter's looking really good. Uh, they got those, you know, those racing fullbacks, one of whom uh, getting a couple of goals. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very good indeed. And uh, Marcus Tram is, is, is fun to watch as well. I, I'm, I'm just yeah. loving this Bundesliga season. It's still wide open. We've got the fact that Bayern Munich are in seventh after 14 rounds with, uh, you know, Leverkusen yep. in sixth. Borussia Dortmund still down in third. Loving how it's panning out. Loving it. And I, I want to say, with that in mind, thumbs way up uh, to Rami Bensabeni. Uh, as you mm. said, he got the brace in this one. He has the great-headed goal for the equalizer, then he scores the penalty for the winner. But I also want to say a little bit, a little bit of thumbs up as well to Marcus Taram, because he does not get on the score sheet, and it probably won't be, and like doesn't even get any kind of official recognition. But worth remembering that, number one, uh, he's the one who Javi Martinez clears out in the 90th minute. Uh, Martinez gets a second yellow, gets the red card, is sent off, and that's the penalty that uh, Bensabeni scores. Yeah. But even for Bensabeni's header, I was trying to figure out why is he so wide open when he scores? Because it's off a corner, no Bayern players around him by like three yards. Mm. Uh, so I went back and looked, and essentially 
Uh, Bayern are going for sort of a man-marking uh, system, and you have, I believe it was Afonso Davies and somebody else who's not known for their marking ability, Goretzka. Goretzka are marking uh, those two players, Benzabeni and Taram, and essentially Taram steps into both of them and sort of physically touches them, like physically engages them, and I think both of them get distracted by that, and thus no one goes with Benzabeni. So it's uh, Taram who earns the penalty, it's Taram who also distracts both defenders to allow Benzabeni to be wide open, and I think that was definitely useful because uh, by by his own admission, he was maybe a little bit uh, not focused in this game. Andy Brasso, I don't know if you saw this, but it made me laugh, Ryan. Andy Brasso for The Guardian was writing um, that it took a reminder from the bench and specifically the reserve, goal, reserve goalkeeper, Toby Sippel, uh, to remind Ben Sabaney that he was nominate, the nominated penalty taker. Uh, after <laughs> Brilambolo missed against Freiburg last week, uh, the Algerian defender, a regular and confident spot taker in training, uh, volunteered to step up for the next one, not for a second thinking that it would end up being a kick of such magnitude. I honestly forgot that I volunteered when it was given, said Ben Sabaney. So a, a good reminder from his teammates allows him to remember that he needs to score. And that's what he did. And that's why Gladbach get all three points, remain top of the table and commiserations to Bayern Munich. Uh, that's about all I have to say about that one. Ryan, anything else? For yeah, you world's, from, world's, uh, smallest, uh, world's smallest violin for Bayern Munich, of course. But uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'll, I'll go back to what you said about Goretzka. He was a um, characteristically poor. Afonso Davis has been mm. had a couple of um, bad outings uh, this season, I would suggest. But Goretzka, I mean, he, he's been pretty good up until this point. It's just seemed, I don't know. There's something going on in that dressing room, and, yep. and I, I don't, I don't think Hansi Flick is the answer. I don't know what the answer is, though. Maybe the answer I is someone he... else can win this darn thing instead. Let's bring Niko Kovac back and just see if he writes the ship. Don't do that, by the way. Don't do that. He was in attendance, I think, at the Everton game. He but was. Apparently that was on a fact-finding mission about the Premier League. Question mark? Uh, I, think I don't know what fact, that means. The fact finding mission pertained to whether he could get a job at uh, Goodison. <laughs> <Perhaps>. <laughs> that was the fact he was trying to find out. Um, and that, that's, let's ask that question, by the way, because Ferguson, if, if this team keep, I mean, you can you can assign this to new manager bounce mm-hmm. and and some emotions uh, from this one, but if if he keeps going this well, he could close out to the end of the season. But does he get a job full time? Obviously, he's been at the club for a, for a very long time and is very well regarded and uh, has worked with the youth team and you know he's worked with t- players like Tom Davis and Calvert-Lewin who was treating like his sons in this game which is wonderful yeah, to see he was. but you have to think if a Niko Kovac was uh, sniffing around the owners might be inclined to uh, to hand the reins over to someone like him yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree with essentially everything you said, that I think Ferguson, maybe you give him the opportunity as the interim and see where it goes. Uh, as long as you're not in the relegation zone, then you're not really going to be challenging for like Europa League, Champions League, certainly. Yeah. So maybe if he kind of keeps it going, you can keep evaluating your options. I would say maybe don't give him the job permanently after like one win or a couple wins. But yeah, I think there will be other opportunities out there and other options out there. They were linked with what Kovac, they're linked with Carlo Ancelotti, which is also hilarious to me simply because the way the English press keep covering that is like it'll be really difficult to pry him away from Napoli. He's beloved there. Things are going so well, and it's like no, they're they're pretty much in crisis at this point. Uh, <laughs> but we can talk we can talk more about Serie A in a moment because first we should talk about uh, today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you in part by. Our friends at Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. Those are stories created exclusively for audio, including documentaries, uh, exclusive audiobooks, scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else. Um, speaking of hearing things, I've been reading Michael Cox's uh, excellent book, Zonal Marking. Oh, yeah? But I will say that, like, I, I, I am a... Uh, 
I've got a lot, lot going on. It's very busy. I don't have the two children level of busy that Ryan does, but you know, it's the <laughs> holiday season. There's, there's much to do, much to be done. It makes like finding time to read difficult aside from when I'm going to bed and with how busy I am. When I start to read in bed, it's like, all right, I'll read, and I'm out. That's it. I read, like, I'll read, like, four words, and I fall asleep. So yeah. with Audible, I could actually get through all of Zonal Marking and feel better about uh, talking about things like tactics and Ajax and uh, Zinedine Zidane and the making of modern soccer, which you could do if you listened uh, via Audible. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I feel exactly the same way. We all lead very busy lives. We've all got work. I've got, you've got family commitments. Uh, I- I'm very busy making fun of Peloton adverts on social media. You know, we've all got <laughs> things to do. So, and I- 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 I'm ashamed that I don't read as much as, mm-hmm. uh, as I used to. Um, but I-, I feel less ashamed by the fact that we've got things like Audible, which make it very easy. It's a, it's great for a commute, isn't it? Great for the car. Yeah, it is. It's, it's great for the car. It's great for the gym, shopping, uh, traveling. Anytime you can't read, you can listen. Listen to Audible. Uh, every month you can choose uh, one audiobook regardless of price as well as two Audible originals from their fresh selection. So they've got many, many audiobooks to keep you occupied. And if you need to, uh, this holiday season, if you need the distraction away from you know family and friends, Which you, uh, you can say like, oh, I, I, I got to go work on this. And then you just go listen to the audiobook somewhere else and no one ever knows. And that's how it works, Ryan. That's my plan. That's my <laughs> Absolutely. plan. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Tay-Tay, since we've been talking about audio so gosh darn much and we love mm. it so much, why don't we offer a free 30-day trial to our listeners? Why don't we do that? That sounds like a charitable thing to do at this point, doesn't it? I guess we could do that, and that's what the uh, highlighted yellow copy would indicate. So start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash TSS or text TSS to 500-500. Ryan, one more time, uh, how could people take advantage of that offer? All you need to do is go to audible.com slash TSS or text TSS to 500-500. Audible.com slash TSS, text to 500-500. All right, we're going to move swiftly away from your southern accent. (laughs) Uh, We'll move into an area where you could do an Italian accent. We're going to talk Serie A. Uh, Despite drawing with Roma nil-nil on Friday, Inter extended their lead at the top of the table to two points after Juve lost uh, on the road to Lazio. Lazio find themselves three points from second place, five from top spot. Now, uh, Lazio are in the title conversation, Ryan. Napoli very much less so. Uh, they drew one-to-one with Udinese. As I said, they're in a little bit of trouble. Uh, seventh in the table, 21 points from 15 games. No wins in their last five Serie A matches. The narrative seems to be that if Ancelotti doesn't get a result in the Champions League midweek, he may well be in trouble. Maybe mm. they will end up welcoming that uh, offer from Everton. But until then, let's stay with Lazio Juve. Uh, Lazio 3, Juve 1, as I said. Ryan, any thumbs for this one for you? I've got some big thumbs for Simone Inzaghi in this one. Uh, this mm-hmm. is the first uh, win for Lazio. I did not predict this, by the way. I, I, I thought that Juventus were going to get a narrow win out of this one with, uh, with mm-hmm. conceding a goal. That was what I predicted in, in my aforementioned betting preview of this game. Uh, this was the first time that Lazio have beaten Juventus at home in the league since 2003. It's Juventus' first defeat of the season as well. Nice little preview of that wonderful Italian Super Cup, which we're all going to tune into mm-hmm. and avidly watch from... Uh, from from Saudi Arabia because that's uh, that's wonderful. Uh, let's yeah, fantastic. Uh, but let's, yeah, full credit to Inzaghi. I mean, this is a group of players who you know he he's really got them firing, hasn't he? And mm-hmm. hasn't hasn't had a ton of money to spend, and has had players like say even Tro Immobile, uh, who for mm-hmm. all his successes 
successes in Italy prior to going to Dortmund has been a player who's needed to get back into form and very much has done. And uh, Milinkovic mm-hmm. Savic has been superb. Uh, uh, Luis Felipe, you know, was great in this game. Luis Alberto has been superb for this team as well. It just seems they're firing on all cylinders right now. And it is, it's odd to think of Lazio in this title conversation, but as you say, five points behind Internationale at the moment and uh, on Juventus's heels, three points behind them after this game. Good stuff. And pl- and playing some pretty stuff as well, because mm. I think you must have felt confident in the beginning of this game, because Juve obviously get, uh, jump out to the 1-0 lead with a goal from Ronaldo, but Juve were all over Lazio, and in those first 15-20 minutes, I thought, for sure, oh, this is going to finish like 5-0, and it's going to be a statement game from Juve. And then Juve maybe take their foot off the gas a little bit. Lazio grow into it a bit more. Quadrado gets the red card. That definitely helps a bit as uh, Juve finish with 10 men. But the goals in this one, it's two beautiful assists uh, from Luis Alberto. Yes. The first one places on the head. That's phenomenal. But the second one is a great ball over the, the top. Goal. But like... Yeah, but it's but it's still it's it's that's the thing is like it's not quite long because it's like 35, 40 yards from goal, but he waits it perfectly so it's on to like the running uh, Sergei Milinkovic Savic, but it's not so long that it goes out of bounds or is collected by the goalkeeper. It is inch perfect, but then it's also inch perfect control from SMS is the abbreviated w- version of saying that one because <laughs> he bring at full like at full speed brings it down with his right foot, stretches out, brings it down, and then with his left foot in like the follow up motion shoots and scores. It is a beautiful goal and a great way for them to take the lead they see it out with uh, another goal at the very end of the game they probably could have had more if it were not for uh, Stesny was next Stesny the goalkeeper for Juve but a strong emphatic win for Lazio uh, and flipping it around for Juve not, it's like it's not a season it's it's one of those strange things it's kind of what we talked about with Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund early like uh, in earlier shows that like they're fine they're in second place but they're not where they are expected to be and where they're accustomed to being. Yeah. They've already conceded 15 goals this season. I believe at this point last year they had conceded eight. Uh, but this is still their first loss uh, in Serie A this season. But by all accounts, it sort of has been a long time coming, that they haven't looked very strong. They haven't looked nearly as connected and as free-flowing in their attack and as strong in their attack as they have, uh, obviously, in years past. And it's led, similar to Bayern, to questions about, like, is this where it, their dominance finally ends? Is the, this the year that it slips off? And if so, then I feel like you point a little bit of the blame at Maurizio Sarri, which begs the question of why aren't Juve being better? Why aren't they playing better? Is this just him coming in? Is it growing pains? Is it similar to what we saw at Chelsea, where maybe there's a little bit of hesitance to embrace his style or hesitation to embrace his style? Is it, is it that he's not getting the best out of his players? Ryan, if you had to take a shot, what would you say maybe partially explains or somewhat explains what's going on with you? Uh, I think it's. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame Mauricio Sarri a little bit here. I'd blame him a lot bit. I blame okay. him a lot. I think it's. This is a lot down to him. I think it's a lot that Sarri ball basically isn't working at this club. I'm seeing a lot of the same sort of patterns and arguments. Uh, uh, the same way that Chelsea fans felt about him last season. The inflexibility that he's showing, and it seems like I don't know, like uh, Bernadeschi's sort of like the new problematic mm-hmm. Jorginho in this team. Mm-hmm. It's very. It's very narrow, and as I said, they're missing. You know, someone like Cancelo who might have contributed more from the from from, from the channels. There's no service to the players up top, and then you know Ronaldo must be frustrated because he you know he's had a bad weekend with Messi breaking hat trick records that he that he yeah. owned, uh, and, and he's not getting any service either. It seems this is so odd because. This is a team that's so stacked with talent, as we've discussed yep. on this show before. There's so many potential players. They've got so much talent that Emre Chan can't even get in their Champions League squad, and yet. They're playing well below their potential, aren't they? There's no... I mean, it's 
they're quite boring as well. And I know that's a criticism mm-hmm. that uh, Sari had at Chelsea as well. And I think that he's not the right man. And it makes you wonder, how did he get things firing at Napoli so much when his, in his past two jobs, it, it's been so negative? It, that is that is really confusing because uh, again to reference Michael Cox, uh, he's writing a series of articles for I believe the Athletic uh, about like the best teams of the decade, the best teams of the modern era. One of them was about Maurizio Sarri's Napoli and how they might be the most like free flowing, exciting attacking team uh, that we've seen in recent memory. And you contrast that with yeah with Chelsea, where that was definitely not a thing that you would say of those teams. And then now with Juve, it does feel a bit stodgier. It feels slower. It doesn't feel quite so free flowing. And there's a Attacking opportunities in every like at the blink of an eye and all over the place. It, it I can't tell if it's just that he is still trying to bed in his system and figure out who fits where and who doesn't fit. More importantly, or if it's just the case that when you move to a club like Juve and to some extent a club like Chelsea, there's an expectation of oh no, you've got to get everybody on board right away and everybody to embrace your style right away. And if you're a little bit hesitant to be flexible to adjust to kind of adapt a little bit to be able to bet, bet in those like bigger star power players that maybe you run into the problems that he ran into at Chelsea and seems to be running into at Juve. Um, that said, again, they're in second place. They're not particularly far behind. Uh, they're just in second place, which they're not used to being. So mm. we may just see this as a slight blip and then things correct and Juve end up in that kind of two-horse race for the title or even uh, overtake Inter. But right now, there's definitely some worrying signs at Juve. Yeah, definitely. And I think that they'll definitely be in the conversation at the end of the season. There's no doubt about that. But you'd expect them to maybe have even pulled out a little lead by this point. But it's it's very interesting to see. There's a lot of players playing not as well as they should be. I thought Delict wasn't very good in this one. Maybe getting a bit too much uh, passive uh, smoke inhaled from Sarri in the dressing room. <laughs> I don't know why, why he wasn't quite at his top level. Even Pjanic wasn't very good. As I mentioned, Bernadeschi, not great. And Dibbler... I mean, maybe anonymous is too much, but not very, not very much impact in this game either. It's just mm-hmm. very, very odd. And I don't know. It's a very narrow. It seems like if you if you look at these two formations on paper, look at you know Lazio having a five across the middle there, and then how narrow Juventus is. Mm-hmm. It's bound to cause trouble, isn't it? Right, exactly. Like you spread it, spread it around a little bit, guys. Maybe that'll work out. But I think you're absolutely right, though. It definitely was not the most fun of times for Ronaldo, who's yeah, his hat trick record gets eclipsed by Lionel Messi. Uh, Messi also winning the Ballon d'Or probably mm-hmm. didn't make uh, Ronaldo too happy, and his uh, his Ronaldo's former employers probably weren't too thrilled either. Uh, in Spain, Madrid briefly went top of the table with a two 0 win over Espanyol before Barcelona regained the top spot with an emphatic. Slightly sloppy, but emphatic 5-2 win over Mallorca. Uh, and I'm going to say, even though Luis Suarez is probably going to be a topic of conversation, I'm starting with Messi. Thumbs up to Lionel Messi for just being ruthless. We've seen him dribble through people. We know he can dribble through 14 players and then st- somehow find the back of the net. That's right, 14, Ryan. He'll dribble through the bench as well <laughs> without even dribbling out of bounds. Two of his own. But but then, but then <laughs> sometimes. But then in this one, he has those moments where it's like, it's as though he has... Um, this is going to be maybe a little bit nerdy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna push my non-existent glasses up when I say this. But like you nerdy, you go back to like <laughs> what's that? <laughs> you you're not going to be nerdy. I wouldn't believe. I it. know, right? Shocker, shocker. But let's talk siege warfare for a moment because in medieval warfare, you had the idea that you would mark out ranges so that you would know when the army was coming closer. You could tell your archers like exactly how to aim so that they were aiming 400 yards and then 300 yards. And I almost feel like Lionel Messi has those same markers on the, uh, the Camp New pitch that he can find ways to just be like, oh, this is where I am. I know exactly how to hit this and, and the best way to hit this. Because 
there are moments where he doesn't look up. He will just get the ball and turn and shoot. And he just has to just know where he is in relation to goal. And I don't know how he does it, but he still ends up scoring these beautiful kind of looping, curling just out of the reach of the goalkeeper goals. And then for the third one, he smashes it. But still, the the awareness and ability from Lionel Messi, it somehow continues to amaze. And that doesn't seem like it should be possible. And yet it is. Yeah, it really is incredible, isn't it? It's, it's cliche to say all this stuff about Messi. But like, mm-hmm. I, I think um, I heard on, on the Guardian pod last week, I think it was Sid Lowe saying something like Messi doesn't move. If you watch him, he doesn't move for the first first 10, 10 minutes of a game very much he's just sort of the data's loading in his brain and he's mm-hmm. then he's going to figure out where and where and what he's going to do and when you look at even when Barcelona are at their very best they're dancing on the edge of the box all these one twos flying here and there everyone else is kind of looking quite alert and moving and they're on their toes Messi's just strolling around he's just he mm-hmm. looks so damn relaxed all the time there until he gets the ball and then he can absolutely sp- spring into action and as you say a cu- couple of absolutely wicked goals here a couple of lovely lessfords outrageous goals g- going in here messi continuing to, to 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 amaze us and even even if hinting that he might one day have to stop doing this he's making us believe and still papering over those Ernesto mm-hmm. valverde cracks uh, particularly in the second half of this game where um where uh, uh, you know a, a relegating a relegation threatened team managed to get two goals at the Camp Nou but let, before we get to that should we should we deal with the Luis Suarez goal should we deal with it we should we should mention briefly uh, Antoine Griezmann also gets a goal which would have been a great goal if everything else hadn't happened but it's a breakaway yeah. chip <laughs> Ter Stegen I think gets the assist well done there but then Messi gets the hat trick that gets the headlines the Luis Suarez goal gets the attention an amazing an amazing back heel and it's one of those where he like hits it with such force that I think he also kind of the trajectory he hits it so it goes like down so then the ball goes up essentially like he basically yeah. forces the ball into the ground and that gives it that upward trajectory. So then it just it looks like it's an actual shot and yet somehow it's a back heel running away from goal. Daryl was not convinced that he meant to do this. He was thinking that maybe he was just trying to back heel it back across the face of goal. Um, I think Daryl is ju- just a hater who doesn't want to believe in happiness because uh, I'm saying <laughs> that he absolutely meant to do this. So that's one apiece. Ryan, you got to break the tie. Did Suarez mean to do this or was he maybe aiming for just like a back heel in hopes that someone would run onto it? But in the end, it turns up in the goal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe in magic here and say that he meant to there do we it. Go. I think he meant to do that's it. That's my. I don't understand how man. he had the audacity to try it. I think he said after the game that Valverde often says to him that he own, he misses the easy ones, but always gets the really hard ones, which sounds <laughs> relatively fair. But I thought the build up to this goal was just mm-hmm. as good as the finish. That De Jong, they yep. had a couple of one twos, but the De Jong through ball to get it. Oh, beautiful! This is Barcelona mm-hmm. in in attack at their very, very, very best this game. And uh, with a lot of shortcomings, a little further back down the field. Yeah, let's talk about those for a moment. Because uh, you mentioned Matthias De Ligt uh, earlier, may- maybe not betting himself in so strongly with Juve. I do wonder if he watched this game and thought, like, maybe I should have gone with Frankie to Barcelona and I could be starting as one of their center backs and maybe I'd yeah. be doing a little bit better. I think he would be certainly at least giving uh, Langley and maybe Piquet a run for their money. Uh, I would say I agree with you in that this did not seem like the strongest center back performance from Barcelona uh, in this game. Yeah, definitely. Thumbs down to the centre-backs. Uh, Longley and PK not doing... Uh, a little bit spursy there, letting, letting, mm. <laughs> letting some goals in at the end. There. And also, I, I know I hammer Junior Firpo all, a lot, but he, he certainly wasn't very good either. I think if you look at the first goal that Mallorca scored, it was Firpo was basically caught in the opposite mm. half. And sort of, uh, who was it? It was Longley had to try and get over and cover. Yeah. But he, because he was so far upfield, he was so lost and didn't have any pace to get back. It, it, it calls that first goal. And credit to Sergio Roberto on the other flank, by the way. He was very good. But, I mean, 
yeah, the rest of the defense left a lot to be desired in this one, I thought. And still, yeah, still, still, the the results and the stunning goals are still belying the fact that Barcelona have have some problems here. Yeah, and and it makes that uh, impending Clásico all the more exciting because uh, obviously they're neck and neck at top of the table. Uh, I think they've both still played a game fewer than everybody else in the league because the Clásico was postponed earlier. Mm. So uh, that is going to be an absolutely fascinating game. I cannot wait for it, but we've still got a little bit of time for that one. So instead, let's uh, aside from scouting, let's talk about our final topic of the day, if that works for you. Let's talk Russia, because I like to wallow in the sadness of Russia. Uh, they will... Uh, Maybe not be playing in Qatar in 2022. Uh, they were. Uh, it was announced today by the World Anti-Doping uh, uh, Agency that Russia will be banned. They had found. They were found to have tampered with laboratory data uh, that was handed over to WADA as a condition for ending a previous three-year ban for state-sponsored doping. So essentially, they had been previously banned for doping. Then that ban was sort of rescinded. It was relaxed a little bit. There was sort of a okay, we'll let your domestic um, like testing agency. Ban back in, but you have to submit everything. You've got to be transparent in everything you're doing. And I guess there was a whistleblower who released some data to WADA that the already the kind of some of the tests were being forged or was fraudulent or manipulated. And so right there, that triggers the uh, the three-year ban or at least mm. another uh, lengthy ban for Russia. Um, it can still be appealed. It seems like that's what Russia will try to do. Uh, Dmitry Medvedev had said that like, he would encourage them to put in a, a well-thought, well-reasoned appeal or something like that. Because, of course, this is all just anti-Russia hysteria, Ryan. Uh, I don't quite go in for that one. Uh, but the thing that was kind of confusing was despite the ban, Russia will be able to compete at Euro 2020, uh, in which St. Petersburg will be a host city. I initially thought, like, oh, that might mean they're going to be banned from the Euros. I wonder who will take their spot. That will not be the case. Uh, they may still be banned from Qatar. Uh, that remains to be seen. FIFA are in conversations. But Ryan, uh, I know you've done some digging on this uh, as well. Do you have an answer for why Russia will still be allowed to compete in the Euros? Oh, because it was all Ukraine. Ted Cruz told me. <laughs> this is all just fake news. <laughs> I think that's the answer that we all, we all need. Poor, poor Russia being manipulated and beaten up by Ukraine yet again. That's definitely how this all works out for sure. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. And they've got 21 days to appeal the verdict that's been mm-hmm. handed upon them. And I think they, you know, they were banned. They've had previous bans of, of, of Olympics, mm-hmm. win- winter and summer, that, that, that have had various results uh, come from them. But the, the biggest news that we can get from this is the whole Euro 2020 angle here, because mm. the, some serious shade has been thrown on the Euros, because Russia can still yeah, compete it in it, because UEFA is, and I quote, not defined as a major event organization with regards to rulings wow. on anti-doping breaches. So if you're if you play in the UEFA, for a, a, a tournament or organization, dope away. You're all good. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And uh, right. then, and UEFA not being a major event organization also means that um, it solved the Messi versus Ronaldo debate. You realize that Messi has an Olympic medal. Ronaldo mm-hmm. has zero UEFA medals whatsoever. It, it's one. <laughs> it's one nil to Messi. In, in the major event organization stakes. In the major event organization category, you're right. There it is. You've settled it, Ryan. Well done. I applaud you. I'm going to steal that and use that and make people roll their eyes with frustration whenever I get asked that question from now on. <laughs> You're welcome to it. And I, I'm it, looking it forward changed. to um, Qatar 2022. We're seeing, are we going to call them neutral FC, maybe? Um, the Russian players playing under like in, in a gray kit or something. Or maybe they can wear those I, Dortmund blackout kits and just, you know, I mean, that'd be nice. 
That that would be very stealth of them. Uh, that would be the way to fly under the radar for sure. Um, I, I, I should clarify. I don't. So the, the reports have been that they will be banned for the World Cup. I've seen people report that. I've seen yeah. people report that FIFA are in conversations with the World Anti Doping Agency about. Cutter in 2022, and I and I'm gonna assume like maybe trying to combine those two that FIFA are trying to figure out the language and the way this has been reported is Russia like basically are banned, but then individual athletes who prove that they are not involved or have not like had any sort of blood doping or uh, fraudulent tests, if you can prove that, you basically have to prove your own innocence, then you're allowed to compete. And I'm gonna assume that the question then becomes, what if? 23 Russian soccer players can prove they weren't involved. Does that then allow them to compete? Obviously, as a neutral, non-Russian nation, mm. but still, does that allow them to have qualification? I don't really know the answer to that, and I'm assuming that that's where those conversations are right now. My assumption would be that that would be very difficult to have happen and to put them all together. So my guess is that they end up banned from uh, from Qatar, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. But for now, they will at least be allowed in the Euros, Ryan. So yeah, uh, I guess Ted Cruz can be happy about that. <laughs> I think this is all going to blow over. If he knows what soccer is, we'll see. I I doubt that very much. He's too busy being an overweight Wolverine. But anyway, I I think it's (laughs) this is all going to blow over. It's look look at the Russia team of the 2018 World Cup, who ran further than any other team, who had energy in in spades. I, I don't think there's any accusations that they could be doping. Outrageous. No, not at all. Not at all. There, there were definitely no close-up images of what appeared to be injection sites on those same Russian players immediately <laughs> after halftime and before games. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Totally Ooh, fine. Oh, boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they are allowed to compete in 2022, that really is, forgive me, but like a very tainted World Cup between everything that's gone into making it so that Qatar could host from actually winning the bid to the building of stadiums and how that's been done to Russia competing. That would be, that's the equivalent of like the SNL joke about like the all steroid uh, Olympics when Chris Farley's arms rip off when he tries to lift too much weight. It would be sort of that level of uh, corruption in my mind would be involved in that 2022 World Cup. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's, it's all set, Wonderful. It's, set what, it's what set wanted. It's, what, it's all he wanted for the global game. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he did. I feel like he was just an agent of chaos, a la the Joker, and he just left it in the state of continual chaos. And here we are, wonderful times. Set Let's Blatter, talk about happier things. Set Blatter, much like my four-year-old daughter, just wants to watch the world burn <laughs> for different reasons. I'm scared of your four-year-old daughter. Me too. Uh, me too. But that's- <laughs> um, let's close it out. Speaking of young people, let's close it out by talking about the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network. Uh, if you join, if you choose to voluntarily support the show at any level from 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 to $25, uh, at any level you will be given a young player to uh, pay attention to, to watch, to report back upon. We've got several reports to get to, starting with uh, Oscar Leong. Uh, Ryan, why don't you take that one? Oscar Leung is scouting Michael Obafemi, 19-year-old Irish forward for Southampton. He says Obafemi got his first start of the season for Southampton in their Desmond 2-2 draw with Arsenal. Despite not scoring, he posed a danger for the Gunners' defence, pouncing on their mistakes and pressing throughout the match. I didn't quite realize, like, we've got the the Irish future in the scouting network because Patrick Delaney is scouting Aaron Connolly, also a 19-year-old Irish forward, this Mm. time for Brighton instead of Southampton. I reckon Patrick Delaney might be Irish as well, going by that name. 
Just a hunch. I'd say there's a decent. I'd say there's a decent chance. Um, Connolly did not feature in any of Ireland's matches in November, but did start three times for Brighton in November against Man United, Norwich, and Liverpool. Patrick says there's a very good interview with Connolly in the Brighton and Hove Independent about his battle with Virgil Van Dyke in that Liverpool match. Uh, I I read it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I would encourage people to do the same. But yeah, uh, going up against Virgil Van Dyke is a bit intimidating. Uh, but Connolly did well, so well done to him, and well done to Ireland for having two exciting young 19-year-olds. Ira Jersey is scouting Ashley Sanchez, a 20-year-old American attacker for UCLA. Ashley will travel across the country after the College Cup in San Jose. She's going to attend the Women's National Team Identification Camp Mm -hmm. in Florida. She and 23 other players were called up for Coach Andonofsky to take a look-see. Meanwhile, her UCLA side were eliminated in the College Cup semi-finals by Pac-12 rivals Stanford, who went on to win the championship game against UNC. Mm-hmm. Commiserations to uh, Sanchez for that loss. Although this kind of report did allow me to appreciate the old uh, Norm Macdonald joke about what a strange abbreviation ID is for identification because you've got I for I and then you've got D for dentification. So well done to Norm Macdonald for that one. Uh, well done to Ira Jersey for scouting Ashley Sanchez and well done to Tyler Franzen for scouting Owen uh, Odasoe, the 18-year-old American center back slash central defensive midfielder for Wolverhampton. Uh, after a long absence due to a knee injury, Injury. Owen Odasoe uh, has made a couple of appearances for the Wolves U23s as a center back and was included in the match day squad um, for their Europa League match against Braga and their Premier League game against Sheffield United. His contract expires. I'm going to assume he didn't make any appearances there. His contract expires at the end of the season, and there are rumors of reported interest from Liverpool, Arsenal, and PSG. So maybe Wolves should give him a chance before those clubs come calling. Absolutely. Ben Carrion. Carrion, <laughs> Carrion is scouting Sam See, there's that voice. 24. There's that voice. <laughs> That's why I get the big bucks. 24 year old American winger, uh, uh, for Sacramento Republic is Sam Werner. Mm. Werner closed out his rookie season by logging the second most appearances on the team. He tallied nine goals and six assists across all comps and his 54 chances created earned him a contract renewal for the Republic's 2020 season. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, Sacramento Republic of USL Championship, soon to be MLS or in the near future. Another USL Championship update comes from Kaz Tidrick, scouting Robbie Mertz, the 22-year-old American midfielder for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Robbie's team option was picked up, which means he should be back in black and yellow for the Hounds next season. A nice and to the point from Kaz. Thank you for that. Very nice. And uh, by the way, mm-hmm. is, is a Riverhound a real thing? I do enjoy the name very much. Is it is it just a hound that swims in the river, or do you have to like do that consistently in order to be a river hound? Or is it a hound that only belongs in rivers, can't come out? Oh, is it a fish? Maybe is that a we're fish. talking about. I don't a dog know. Fish. Instead of a catfish, it's a dogfish. I think we that exists. Look into this. We should. Look oh, dogfish head. It definitely exists. It definitely exists. <laughs> a river hound dogfish. Nailed it. Nailed it. Let's do one more then. Todd Ito is yeah. scouting <laughs> Takafu Sakubo, the 18 year old Japanese attacker on loan at Mallorca from Real Madrid. Uh, young mm-hmm. Tucky went the full 90 in his first Liga match against Leo Messi, which we were talking about just a moment ago. Of course, that's a man mm-hmm. to whom he is so frequently compared. Kubo was booed by the Barcelona fans who were upset that he turned his back on La Masia to sign with the hated rivals, those guys in Madrid. Kubo said after mm-hmm. the game, I made my call and they have the right to whistle me. I think I deserved it. Sure. Although there were people who also applauded me, which gave me courage. Aww. The 18-year-old did indeed play pretty well, even nutmegging Messi at one point, and also showed off his close control. He had some dangerous passes, and he got off a couple of decent shots on goal. 
Well done, young Takafusu, uh, Takafusu Kubo. Well done to Todd, Kaz, Ben, Tyler, Ira, Patrick, and Oscar for those lovely reports. Thank you, everyone who sends in the scouting reports. Thank you to everyone who chooses to support the Total Soccer Show. Uh, we very, very much appreciate it. We appreciate everyone who's still listening. And we, of course, appreciate Ryan Bailey for joining us after what I'm going to assume was a long weekend. I'm surprised you don't have a headache. Maybe you do. But if you do, you've handled it very well and you haven't let on at all. So thank you for that, Ryan. And thank you for joining me once again. Thank you, Taylor. Always a pleasure. Never a trip.